The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It is a full house on our first show of the new year. Part of blackandgoldbanneret.com. What a huge show we have for you as we wrap up the UCF football season. A disappointing conclusion in the Fiesta Bowl. And we look ahead to um, the future for UCF football and what happens after this. We do, Like I said, we've got a full house here on the podcast. Uh, Eric Lopez is here. Jeremy Brenner is here. Luke Saris is here. Eric, uh, uh, Chris Carter is here. It's There's five of us. So I have to play the part of traffic cop today. It's going to be um, crazy. Murph would be here, but he's on a plane heading back from um, heading back from Arizona right now. So um, He's but, still recovering. This is his first loss he's had to cover since he's uh, I know. joined the I know. You, you know, this recovered. is the... Just to give you an idea, this is the first loss that UCF has had since my daughter was in the womb. Just to give you an idea. She's 14 wow. months old. So, um, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. You can follow us there and on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And, of course, on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. You can follow our podcast, subscribe to it if you don't already, on Google Play. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, fellas, let's dive right in. Um, Not the result we were hoping for. It was the result that probably a few people were thinking might be possible, but um, it still, it it, it doesn't make it hurt any less. As UCF uh, falls to LSU in the uh, PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, I almost said the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, old habits die hard. Um, on New Year's Day, forty to thirty-two uh, in Glendale, Arizona, and uh, we got to give due credit to um, LSU. They they were um, outstanding. Took advantage of UCF's mistakes. What hurts the most is that the Knights had a fourteen-three lead uh, at one point in the game. Um, kept the defense. The defense kept everybody in in the ball game. Really. Um, the Knights did score late and get a two-point conversion to get within one possession. And they had the ball in the final minute with a chance to tie. Uh, now, the end result was an interception. But nonetheless, um, UCF comes up short um, to LSU. Their first loss since mid-December of 2016. 25 wins in a row. The streak comes to end. 745 Days since the last UCF loss, and I wanted to start with this, guys. And Eric, we'll start with you. Um, the LSU out first down to UCF, thirty-two to seventeen, nearly double the first downs. Um, nearly, well, actually, it was triple the net passing yards, uh, more than double total offensive yards. Uh, forced UCF to punt twice as many times. Uh, forced, turn, forced two turnovers, had five sacks compared to UCF's two, had a three-to-one time of possession advantage on UCF, and yet, and yet, UCF still had a chance to tie the game at the end. Now, I know you told me on Twitter earlier that, well, it was a little bit of a reach, but yeah. 
a big, big reach. I, I, I don't think I don't think it's as big a reach as people think. But I want to give your I want to get your impressions of the game first. Go ahead. Well, I think the eight points misleading. If LSU was better in the red zone, honestly, we were fortunate to be in the game. Uh, LSU was four for five in the red zone. In field goals, yeah, a lot of field goals. I mean, that's great. But I mean, that kept UCF in the game, and that's been LSU's problem all year. They've settled for field goals. If you look at their kicker stats. One of the reasons one of the top kickers, he kicks a lot of field goals. Um, you know, it's disappointing. What's disappointing is you mentioned they were up 14 to 3. They had momentum early, and yet you have a stupid penalty for no reason. There's no reason to spike a football after you make a play on the field in front of a ref. Where you're just asking for a call there. And that turned, you know, that turned the momentum a little bit around. Uh, give credit to our guy we had on last episode from LSU who said that LSU would open it up, and they did. Um, I'm shocked that Joe Burrow – I'm not surprised LSU won. I'm surprised how they won in that Joe yeah. Burrow threw the football and LSU's basically threw all over UCF strength, which is the secondary. Yeah, he was he was uh, excellent. Burrow. Let's give let's give Burrow some credit. He was you know we thought that that was the weakness for LSU coming in. And that kid stepped up to the plate, 21-34 for 394, four touchdowns, and the one interception, which was uh, taken back for a touchdown by Bam Moore that gave UCF the 14-3 lead. And we were thinking at that point, oh, my gosh, this might happen. Um, but then you're right, the, 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 the penalty after the third down sack, which was an absolute killer because it negated the third down. It negated what, what would have been a punting situation and gave LSU a fresh set of downs. They score. It's a different ball game. Yeah. No, I mean, that was. And the offensive line, and, you know, this was a game in the trenches. The offensive line gave Burrow time to throw. The LSU defensive line uh, dominated the UCF offensive line. Uh, Mac didn't have a lot of time to throw. They disrupted a lot of things. Dave Arain that pulled up blitzes because basically he was really, literally had no secondary whatsoever. Basically, he's playing wide receivers playing in the secondary. And UCF was unable to to convert that for various reasons. So, uh, and yet, when UCF had opportunities, they couldn't take advantage. I mean, think back to the the muff punt. When LSU muffed the punt, uh, yeah. UCF could convert, had two drops. I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously... Uncharacteristic had, drops, too, by the way, by Gabe Davis. He well, had, And that's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at how much negativity, and I guess it comes with the position... And maybe it's a UCF tradition when they lose, they blame the quarterback because that's what happened the last time we lost a game. They bloomed, they 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 blame the quarterback, right? <laughs> Mackenzie Miller, which turned out to have a pretty good career after that. Uh, yeah. So let's remind people that, that for those that are trying to like, hey, we need a new quarterback. Um, I didn't think Daryl Mack got help. Uh, I mean, we already know we, we I mean we all know the Gabe Davis drop, uh, easy drop that he had. But that possession that I mentioned after the punt, I mean, there was two drops right there in that possession and. Uh, if those guys catch the football, Mac has a different game, and I think it's a different game. So it's just a lot of things that didn't go well. Uh, I thought Mac didn't get help from the line. I didn't think he got help from the play calling, and I didn't think he got help from the receivers. And give LSU credit, they they won the game the old fashioned way. You know, for all this stuff with gimmicks about spreads and up tempo, LSU won it the old school way, and that's line up and let's beat you up up front in the trenches, and I'm going to block you, and I'm going to go after a quarterback. And LSU made enough plays, and and really, UCF was fortunate in that they LSU didn't put them away because that I thought in late third quarter that thing was about to get away, and it didn't. So it is what it is. It's unfortunate, uh, but it's certainly one that I think 
certainly I think some of those players are going to have some sleep. And even some of the coaching staff will have some sleepless nights of kind of, man, we really didn't take advantage of some opportunities that we had there. Jeremy, you were there um, with Brian. Brian's on a plane right now. so um, But you were there in the press box. You saw this game up close and personal. What did it look like on your end? You know, because I mean, when you're there, obviously it's a different set of eyes than when you're watching on television. Um, did L- did it did it seem that LSU was as dominant in this game as it may have looked at times on television? Honestly, I think I think LSU dominated in the trenches. I think LSU dominated in the coaching, and I think those were the two huge parts of the game where LSU had a total advantage over UCF. If you look at the the big thing for me is time of possession. There's uh, it's it's very 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 difficult to win a game when you only have the ball for 15 minutes yeah. and the other team has the ball for 45 minutes. The fact that UCF came within a possession was shocking to me. And yes, we can say, "Oh, well, if Gabe Davis caught that touchdown and then it's maybe Maybe it's a five-point game instead because eventually uh, UCF recovered the punt, the muff punt, and it led to a field goal. So they only really lost four points out of that. Right. And if 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 they if they were to score there, they probably don't go for two at the end of the game. So it's maybe a a four-point game. They they may have get they may have gotten what three more points off of that. So I mean, you can look at those things, but I honestly think that this game was won because LSU executed their game plan to perfection they knew that UCF would could score very quick drives that first drive of the game where um, it was like a one minute 38 second drive where Greg McRae runs in for a touchdown right. they knew that could happen Even and that's partially why UCF was still kind of in the game I mean they scored what 25 points off of 15 minutes of play that's still very impressive um, it's the most points that LSU's given up all year long, and but and then also in the coaching, play calling very conservative, um, especially on defense. And I didn't like that Randy Shannon kept playing man. I thought that maybe in the second half he would have, you know, made those adjustments that he's so famous for uh, this season, where you know he made that adjustment against Memphis to win that game in in the conference championship as well. And I was kind of thinking like, okay, you know. At halftime, is a three-point game. You know, UCF, it's – Murph and I were talking about it or during halftime. We thought it was a terrible first half of football. It was like no action whatsoever. Yeah, it was very <laughs> sloppy too. <laughs> very sloppy. But, <laughs> but look, UCF – and then they had the ball. UCF had the game. And then they just looked lethargic coming out of the second half. And I was like, this is not the second half nights that we're so used to seeing. Yeah. And, I think that I would, you know, we were just waiting for the time to happen, and you know, you're just waiting for the nights to finally get it clicking, and then the time just got away from them because LSU just kept on running the ball, first down, throw set carries, first down, and then time just got out of UCF's hands, and I wish that, you know, and then LSU had so many plays where it was like third and ten, third and twelve, and they converted because the corners were playing so soft on the receivers yeah. all you would do is curl route boom to jefferson boom curl route uh jamar chase would get the ball i mean it was like so simple and then you'd like get like the screen pass from the tight end and it's just like or the the tight end forces a screen slant pass first down it was like every single play like the knights 
they they knew what was happening. They couldn't stop it. Like they weren't doing anything about it. It was just kind of disappointing a little bit to see that they they knew what was going on, but never really did anything about it. Yeah, you, you know what was the part that really hurt was after the Gabe Davis touchdown uh, at the end of the first half. UCF got the ball right after halftime, and that's you know, and you're up, you're down twenty four twenty one. That's the chance you have to get the moment to, to sort of extend that momentum and then you take the lead. It's a different complexion of a ball game after that, but they went three and out. Killens had seven, Killens had one, and then the incomplete pass to, uh, to uh, Otis Anderson where he was clearly interfered with, but they didn't call it on that one. Uh, and then LSU just, just went right down and scored a touchdown. Um, then the next possession again, um, three and out, and then LSU long drive touchdown, and you're down, and now you've given up those two scores, and you're down two scores. Um, that was, I think, the sequence that really hurt UCF in the third quarter. Chris, you were watching from north of the border. It, it was, it, it was a difficult third quarter from what we saw. But w- what did you see on your end? I mean, you've been down there on the field for these kinds of moments. You see, you know, you know what it takes. What is it that UCF was missing in this game that that put them on the short end by one possession? Well, uh, I'd have to agree with Jeremy. Uh, really, uh, coaching I thought was very poor on our end. Um, a lot of times, these games are about momentum. Uh, momentum can be a huge factor in these games. I thought there was three crucial points in the game for UCF. Obviously, the first one was they were up 14-3. Uh, they had the two uh, two penalties that, that extended LSU's drives that ultimately gave them a touchdown. I uh, thought rate, like as you mentioned, coming out of the, the uh, second half, they just scored a touchdown at the end of the first, first half. They come out. Uh, the pass interference penalty that was not called that, you know, they're three and out and they're, the momentum's gone. And finally, the, uh, the dropped, uh, the easy, easy touchdown that was dropped by Gabe and, and the one in the end end zone that was also uh, a potential touchdown that Gabe probably could have had, but didn't get, I thought those are huge factors in the game, but the, this is honestly the first time in, in, uh, in Josh Heupel's career that I really thought he was really outcoached uh, by a great extent. Uh, I said going into the games that US, UCF has to establish the run game to give us a time of possession, uh, and ultimately we never did until the second half, which by then it was too late. Uh, they didn't give Daryl Mack. I mean, it was crucial for two, two points. They had to give Daryl Mack even that half a second or a second for the uh, defensive line to pause so that he would have time to throw. They, like I said, we had so little run game established. They were just coming, uh, you know, ears pinned. And for a guy in his third start, that's never going to work out well. I don't care how many guys are open downfield. If your guy doesn't have time to even blink after coming out of the center, uh, you're not going to complete anything. But I thought that Heupel should have recognized that going into the game, first of all, because he played LSU last year when he was at Missouri. He knew what kind of talent they had on their team. He knew what kind of problem they would be. And there was never any kind of, uh, you know, I thought we would see at least max protection from the very beginning. It wasn't until, I think, the second half they started bringing a tight end back to help them out block, and then we started having some success. But, uh, you know, 
uh, all in all, uh, we just didn't have it that game. We didn't get the breaks. We made mistakes. And you're not going to, you know, if it was an AAC team or, uh, you know, a G5 team, you might be able to squeak by. But when you're playing, a, you know, a top-tier team, whether they got their starters or not, uh, you know, if you don't get those breaks and you make those mistakes, at the end of the day, you're usually going to come up short. And that's what happened. You know, we, we didn't have good coaching. We we dropped balls we probably should have caught, and uh, we made penalties we shouldn't have made. You know what I thought was an interesting was an interesting sort of juncture in the game was in the first quarter. Okay, when Burrow threw that pick to Brandon Moore and he ran it back ninety three yards, that was the tenth play of LSU's drive. So UCF scores off the pick. Then LSU obviously gets the ball back, and then they go another eleven plays and score a touchdown. So. Believe it, even though UCF got the points off the pick and got the momentum off of that pick six, that's 24 consecutive plays that your defense is out on the field. And, and that, was also the, that was also the drive that we extended right. uh, twice with penalties. Right. It's, just, and, it's a backbreaker. And then the next, so, so they scored on the first drive, UCF did, in, in pretty typical UCF fashion. Six plays, 69 yards, 138. But then the offense didn't get the ball back for another for another almost 10 minutes uh, of game time. And when they when they did, Mac fumbled the ball away at the UCF 44-yard line on their basically their second offensive possession. So that was so that was a really tough stretch where that it allowed LSU to get back in the game. They took the lead 17 to 14. And then that was pretty much it. Three and out the next time around. Um, and UCF didn't establish another drive again until midway through the second quarter where and when they went for it on fourth and five and then they turned the ball over on downs and by that time they were down 10 24 14 i thought that we was didn't, we didn't score points from that 14 three position until the the end of the half right until the we until the entire, touchdown pass. Entire, almost two two quarters without doing anything offensively i mean like nothing right three and outs every time and and let's give some credit to Daryl Mack on that touchdown pass, which was which was really the highlight of the day. I thought for UCF that was that was an absolute dime. But you know, you look back at his whole game's performance; he only he threw for under 100 yards. That was pretty. Yeah, that was it. It was, that was a third of his yards. Yeah, yeah. It, it was actually more than that. Actually, so um, Luke, I want to bring you in on here because you were taking because you were watching from home as we were, but. What was your thought on this? It, it, did it seem that? See, I, I'm of the mind that if you're, if you turn a couple plays one way or the other, this is a totally different ball game, and UCF is right there, step for step, maybe win this game. So I didn't think that the gap between UCF and LSU was all that great in terms of the end result. Um, this wasn't. This didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but this didn't seem like a like a blowout to me. Like everyone seems seems to think it was, where the score was closer than the game. I don't know. Am I wrong on that? I don't know. I, I see it both ways. <clears throat> I mean, the the truth of the matter is, just we we could not match what they brought to the table physically, and that's the truth. I mean, they our offensive line just got dominated up front. Um, there and there wasn't really too much to it. I, you know, I think if, and this is not a knock on Mac, um, but I think if when a quarterback has that little time to make a decision and to try to make a play, 
I think a quarterback making his third start of his career, it, that's that's going to you know result in a nightmare. Um, yeah, I, I just I I just think physically we we were outmatched. I guess what yeah, was the difference? Was what was the difference then between this year against LSU and last year against Auburn? Because, I mean, you can make the case that Auburn was a physically superior team to it's UCF last Pittman year. And Gerard McKenzie Milton. Gerard. <laughs> well, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, Jeff. It's called motivation. Okay. <laughs> no, no. But to be honest, I I wholeheartedly, although the results of the teams may not be the same, I think I. I mean, I watched both games, and I watched them both closely, and I think the the physical, just the natural physical advantages this LSU team had were, were superior to last year's Auburn team. Okay. I mean, the, these guys have some, some freakish athletes. Um, and listen, our, our offensive line, you know, they, they did the best they could, but Mac had no time, so, you know, you could have had – uh, the water boy playing quarterback, you know, for LSU. You know, I, well, I'm I, I'm not sure if you guys heard, but they had a wide receiver play defensive back, right, uh, in that game. Um, well, because that defensive yeah. well, back he was a got defensive kicked. back for the first two years, so no, right. I mean, not a lot of people are talking about it. I just didn't yeah. know you guys. Heard. Yeah, and, and also uh, the reason why he played was because the guy in front of him punched a guy in the face. And got tossed yeah, out. Which of the game. makes it wild. I mean, this was this yeah. game had a little bit of everything. It was like they had a yeah. guy punch in the face to a face. I mean, it was a. I said this on social media. The IQ level uh, for this game was not the highest for both sides. Yeah. It, it was it was a sloppy game on yeah. both sides of the ball. Twenty six um, total penalties, by the way. Yeah. Yes, the bull wretch. Yeah. Not one they'll keep the tapes on. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're we're out here making records still. But um, right. No, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who was playing quarterback. Mac had absolutely no time to make the passes, and and he didn't have his his best stuff that we saw against Memphis. Um, we competed, you know, we competed to the very last second we were in the game. I think that's all you can ask for. Um, but you know, this this is a very talented team with a lot of talented players who are well coached, and and you know, we were just we were physically outmatched and and they just played better than us and there's really not too much else to it what do we yes you are correct uh there are a few plays that if they did go a different way it would have been a different ball game maybe we would have had the lead going into half but that's that's just that's the game in and of itself you know things like that will happen and that will determine the outcome quick show a quick show of well voices all right uh in an alternate universe where Mackenzie milton gets the start in this game, I'm going to go around the horn. Just give me a quick one or two word answer, especially you, Eric Lopez. Um, if Mackenzie Milton starts this game, does UCF win it? In your opinion, Eric? Against the against the shorthanded LSU team or a full roster I, against 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 LSU as they played in this game. I think they probably find a way to win because you got to believe Milton with his experience makes some plays. I will point out though, he doesn't block anybody. Okay, uh, uh, Chris. I think it would be night and day. I think it would be like 52 to 40 or even less because time of possession would be hugely different. I also think McKenzie would probably uh, make a few suggestions to Heupel that Darren Mack did not feel like he could. Right. So I think it would be a drastically different game. You can't you can't underestimate the impact of a, a, a quarterback of McKenzie's caliber and experience. You just can't. Uh, Jeremy. Honestly, I, I you could convince me, but I, I honestly think that 
it doesn't. I think that LSU makes the adjustments necessary for McKenzie. So I'm going to go with hmm. no. Okay. Luke. The difference between being a Heisman vote getting quarterback and being a quarterback, you know, making your third start is that when you're under pressure and you don't have the time to think, you know, McK- that's where McKenzie thrives. So um, yep. he definitely would have made it a different game. Would they have won? Maybe. Um, you know, we'll never know. Yes. But I definitely think it would have been a, a completely different offense performance for UCF. Unfortunately, McKenzie doesn't play uh, on in the in the defensive backfield. Yeah. Those what, two those two missed TDs, I guarantee, would have been made with McKenzie throwing because yeah. he would have put them all where where it was. Where it was I, I, yeah, I, I, I felt that there was that one drop that, well, it was called a drop on Gabe in the end zone, but but it looked like Daryl threw it over the throw. wrong shoulder. Yeah, he, there was there was one that where he just missed the throw. I thought the one that really hurt was that 70, it would have been a 75-yard touchdown. Oh, yeah. that, that was, was a killer. Oh. And game. yeah, that, that one hurt. By the way, I went back and I looked at, you know what McKenzie Milton's third career start was? Uh, don't loss, tell me. Loss oh, was it Maryland? It was, was it Maryland. It was the no, that was his first. Yeah, six fumbles in his first game. Yeah, it was his. It was his. Yeah, uh, it was the Temple game. It was the Temple game yeah, where that where where uh, yeah where PJ Walker threw the touchdown at the end of the game. Um, and in that yeah, game, that game made that me game. sick. Yeah, well, that, that was Frost's worst coaching game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was uh, and uh, Milton's line in that game twenty uh, thirteen of twenty two for two hundred ten yards, two touchdowns and a pick, and he ran for only nine yards. So well, his freshman year, I mean, he had some very bright moments, but he also had some moments where he threw, you, know, you weren't sure he threw some duds out the there. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. not forget Mackenzie Milton was booed out of the stadium at the uh, Cure Bowl. Yeah, and we my, were there. My Remember favorite, that, Eric? My favorite part of that was people started chanting for Holman. And this is no knock on Holman or Mackenzie, but people started chanting for Holman. And I'm standing there. Everybody's like, Holman. And Frost is like, all right, we'll put him in. Holman goes in first play interception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, That's you and, asked for it. Yeah, yeah. and God, and you know, God bless Justin Holman, who was you know, he, he was a real team player. He did not he complain one one iota that year. Um, his family did, though, very, very loudly on social media. Well, that's his family. That's what family's for. That's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but Justin, you know, he didn't complain aloud one bit. I, it's just. It's another one of those things where it's like I start getting like bad nightmares of like what if, what if, what if, like games in their late 90s and early 2000s where it's like, you know, if, the, if only we'd gotten this break or this break, maybe things would have gotten a little bit different. I want to switch gears a little bit while we still got you guys all here and give everyone a chance to sort of talk about the legacy of this game and and sort of cut or not not the game, but the team in general and cut past all of the shot in Freud that we're seeing on social media now. I mean, we've all seen it. Luke, you've probably seen it more than others. Um, <laughs> which, uh, by the way, I didn't think it was... I, I, did, I didn't think what you said was not innocuous. I mean, it was, or it was, it was spot on. Um, you know, I've been getting it. Um, it, it I'm, I'm sure... Well, I don't know, Chris, if you have your notifications on, but I'm sure you've been getting it. Um, from from opposing fans, I yeah. just, I just try to ignore them. That's the problem. You you can't read into any any comments from opposing fan bases because they're just kind of after two years oh, they're they're, they're opposing drill you no matter what. Yeah, well they're they're opposing fan bases. If you lost the, yeah. if the, if UCF lost the game by one point, it's you suck. You should have lost every game, and 
and exactly. fold, by the way, by the way, fold up your program, right? That, that, in fairness, that's college football in a nutshell. I mean, if Al- yeah. whoever loses the Alabama-Clemson national title game, especially if it's Alabama, they're going to hear about it as well. Oh. I mean, every fan base hears about it. Yeah. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has the seventh winniest percentage since he has arrived at Michigan since he took over the program and he's getting and people like Jeff are bombarding him after yeah I knew that was coming I I think that's a different I think that's a different situation well I'm just saying the point is nobody likes Harbaugh though (laughs) it's not a matter of I I think he just can't win the big games he can't shake hands either well he he can't he can't can't win here's the thing where I'll give guys like Harbaugh credit they're gonna say everyone's gonna say he can't win the big games until suddenly he does it's just like Tom Osborne right Tom Osborne couldn't win the big game until suddenly he did and it's just a, it's a lot of these games. This is what amazes me about college football, and it goes back to this game. It's remarkable to me how many games, especially now in, in 2018, really do kind of turn on a dime. And I keep telling this to everybody who's, who will listen who's not a UCF fan out there. It's like the, the, the UCF's point, the general point of the last two years is, guys – the college football world is a hell of a lot flatter than you think it is. and Well, well Jeff, to piggyback on that, we've talked to coaches and players. I think the difference, it used to be like 20, 30 years ago that every, you know the major programs just had better talent across the board. Right. That's not the case anymore. Like UCF skill position players are as good as any of the major programs. I, I don't think you would trade the LSU receivers for UCF's receivers, for example, or things like that. Where still the difference is, is in in the trenches, in the line of scrimmage. That's, to me, the big difference in the depth of the trenches. Um, well, I would, I would even put this to you, though, Eric, and I, want, and I wonder what you guys also think about this. Is it's not, just, it's not just teams like, say, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Okay, well, you, can, you, can put those, you can put them aside. Those are the cream of the crop teams in, and let's face it, the cream of the crop conference. But take a look at the bottom half of the SEC, all right? You mean to tell me that UCF doesn't have equal or perhaps better depth and quality in the front seven on defense in the front line on offense than say Vanderbilt? Maybe Vanderbilt's a bad example, it's a but bad example. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I mean, but like comparing them to Kansas, right? But yeah, but, I mean Vanderbilt's there for academics; they're not there yeah. for football. Okay, like but, but give me okay, but give me the a team in the bottom third of the SEC. Arkansas. Okay, Arkansas. No, I mean Arkansas has has been successful. They're just having a down year. I'm talking about you talking about consistently like towards the bottom. Take yeah. Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee, good example. They've had a rough go of it. Or Ole Miss, for example, of late. They've really uh, had a go of it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I think I I think especially in the case of Tennessee, I think it's it's miss mismanaged talent they're i don't think they're they're not getting the talent i just think it's it's been it it, it becomes of a, a, a balance of hey we are this team and we have all this talent but we don't have the coaching staff or the the schemes to utilize it versus teams like ucf where maybe we don't have the same level of talent but the talent we do have fits our scheme perfectly, which makes us successful. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people uh, underestimate the value of culture in a program. And when you look at a program like Tennessee, which has a toxic, has had a toxic culture for a while now, and you look at a program like uh, UCF that has the has had the winning culture 
the team culture that it is really essential to go on a streak like this because in every single game there are going to be defining plays where you either stick together. You look at UCF uh, over the last two years, and, and one common thread that, that that didn't that you even saw in the game today, even though they lost, they never gave up, they never got down, they never quit. And more often than not, I look back to the last game that we really gave away. It was the Temple game. Temple never gave up in that game. They we were up, we were way up. We we didn't have the culture yet, and we gave that game away to Temple two years ago, and they had the culture. They never gave up, no matter what, the, no matter how bad it looked, uh, and they won. And so oftentimes, it's the culture that makes you uh, gives you wins in these games as opposed to losses. And that's why I think you know UCF's going to be fine in the next year, two years, three years, as long as we keep the culture. Uh, we'll win these close games. So as we look back at, at the legacy of this streak, um, and Chris, I want to come back to you on this, and then Jeremy uh, after that. Um, what is, when we look back on this, and I think I wrote this up earlier, since the, uh, since the split of Division One into FBS and FCS, back then it was 1A and 1AA, uh, there have only been uh, six schools that have had a winning streak of 25 games or longer. And now UCF is in that club. I think it's UCF, BYU, USC, Florida State, Miami, Alabama. Yeah. What is the legacy of this last 745 days of UCF football going forward? Not just into 2019, the but... Or the, or the game. Um, I'll let you, uh, it t- we'll touch upon both of them because I think they're going to feed into one another in a way. So for the game, to me, this is the one that, that got away, the one we, we could have had and got away. Uh, but I temper that with we shouldn't honestly even been here because when your Heisman vote-getting quarterback goes down uh, the week before conference championship game, I, I, I had my worries that we were actually going to win that game. So for Mac to get us to this game was something I didn't think was going to happen the way he played. So I temper, I wasn't really that upset because they didn't quit. So I look at it as the game that got, got away because, I mean, there were so many chances for us to win this game and we just didn't seize, seize the opportunity, each one of those. Right. Um, so I temper that, but it was the one that got away. Um, as far as the streak, uh, it's really redefined this program. It's, it's redefined this program. I know we had a successful season 2013, 2010, 2007, or 2007. Uh, none of those championships will compare to what uh, lasting image the streak has done for the branding. Uh, just it's changed everything. It's changed the culture at UCF. It's changed the fan base. Um, you know, it's not that long ago. We all remember 0-12. We all remember where we were as a as a as a school as a as an athletic program, uh, you know, pre Danny White. Yeah. Uh, just everything has changed, and and it's it's not solely because of this streak, but this streak is is like the calling card of everything that's happened at UCF with every program. It's kind of representative of where UCF is now, and uh, I really look uh, that's going forward you know we're going to do more streaks 
and 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 it's like I said, it's it's a beautiful thing to to be a part of, even just as a fan. Jeremy, you were there. You talked to the players after the game. Did you get the sense that they that they thought the same thing that Chris was talking about? That dadgummit, this is one that got away, and this is going to stick in our craw the next eight months. You know, I was I was walking into the locker room, and you know, to walk into the locker room for a team that doesn't know how to lose, and they lost. Um, very odd. It was like an eerie kind of mood. There were some players, like there were tears were shed. Um, for several players, um, there were, you know, a lot of people were just down, and a lot of people were just kind of like, "Hey, man, you know, it happened. It happened the way it did." But honestly, I think I'm. I'll be honest here. If the streak was going, the streak was going to end. I think we can all agree that it was. It had to end yeah. at some point. I'm glad that it ended on a game like this. On a in a. In a, in a, I'm glad we didn't lose at home because then you can say, oh, well, we should have won at home. I'm glad it didn't happen on the road because then they would have looked even worse on the road. It happened in the last game of the season, so they won't have to readjust. For, um, it happened when they were without Mackenzie Milton, and it happened when, you know, they were kind of on a high. And, and honestly, like, I think that there's a mood around this team is like the end of an era and mm. it ended almost and I, I'm, I think it's going to be a very it's a very different team next year at least seven starters this year were seniors on defense on offense you know Dredrick Snelson I think he's gone Kalubia is gone you're losing Hudanik and Wyatt Miller on the offensive line Taj McGowan's not going to be on the team next year so that's at least five guys that are major parts of the offensive you know unit that are gone um, I honestly think it's and and Lord knows if Mackenzie's going to even be able to play next year. Likely not, right? So it almost feels like they can not not necessarily start over, but they can reset and build off of what they built from these two years. And I think that the program is in much better hands. I think that you know the guys that they they got four four stars on the defensive line next year. That defensive line's gonna be real young and they're gonna be real raw. And I don't think you get those guys without these winning streaks. I mean you heard the um the guy uh I forget his name, the the recruit that we just got from DC. What's his name again? Can someone help me out? Cam Good. Or, Cam, uh, Cam Good. Yeah, Cam Good's friend. What's his what's his friend's name? The guy uh, just you, you the, tell me the kid who just tra- Tremont yeah, Morris drop, Brash. Drop, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, drop. We're calling him Drop. I'm calling him Drop. drop. Like, too long of a name. He said he, he called himself Drop on TV. I'm calling him Drop. He said that this is the best team in Florida. It he is. He said that this is winning. They all they do is win, and you can't say that. In fact, that guy doesn't say that two years ago, and I honestly think that. Dylan Gabriel is going to get the starting job next year at some point. I think wow. it's going to be a very different team next year. Hot take. Dylan Gabriel Write it down. Is Heupel's guy. It's like Josh Heupel has more of a stamp on this team than he did this year. He's going to be able to build off of it. It's going to be year two for him. He's going to be much more you know, familiar with his stuff. I think it's just, you know, yes, they had that Fiesta win, you know, four or five years ago against Baylor, but it almost like that 0-12 year kind of you know, brought that down, and they were forced to start from square one again. But now, 
that they've, you know, built this culture for as long as they have, and they have they brought in all these guys that have changed the culture. I think it's going to be. I think they they can reset, but they are off. Of, they are off to a much better start than they were when they were, huh. you know, won the Fiesta Bowl the first time. Okay. So I think that you know people know what UCF is now. I did not know what UCF was until they won the Fiesta Bowl the first time. I had no idea what it was because I'm not a, I'm not a Florida guy. I'm a Houston kid, born and raised. I knew Texas schools, and that was about it. I didn't know what UCF was, but I guarantee you people a lot more people know who UCF is now because of all that they've done in these last two years so I think it's just it's it's only the start of a new era for UCF Luke and then uh, Eric and then we'll take a break uh, Luke what do you think well hopefully um, hopefully we're not going to be looking back at it and saying oh man those were the glory days hopefully we'll be looking back at it and saying wow you know those two seasons were the catalyst for where our program is now. So when when all is said and done, um, you know this will go down as one of the best runs um, in in you know modern college football history. And I don't think you know, regardless of who we played, you know what conference we're in, so on and so forth. Nobody can take that away from UCF. I mean, 25 straight wins, two conference championships, uh, you know, four wins over AP or five wins over AP top 25 teams. Um, what more can you ask for? I mean, and the, the, the most important thing he did was build the brand for UCF. Um, and listen, you know, a lot of people hate UCF or well, I think more so hate, hate some of the fans and and I, you know, we we definitely brought that upon, upon ourselves. But hey, I'd I'd rather be hated than you know not known at all. Yeah, you know exactly. So. Brian actually, in his little rap piece on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com, quoted Reggie Jackson and uh, a great quote from him. He said, "They don't yeah, boo." Great quote. Yeah, they don't boo nobodies. Was the great quote. And uh, and I think that's right. The uh, Hurricanes, Miami Hurricanes in the '80s too. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Believe me, I, yeah, I grew up in South Florida and knew all about that. Yeah. Elo, I'll give you the last word. What's going to be? What, what's what's the what's the final sentence on this paragraph in UCF history? Well, I think the guys kind of put all of them put a much pretty much good perspective on it. I would uh, concur with. I would add. I think the Fiesta Bowl is kind of a footnote, to be honest. I think the thing, the streak that I remember. Is it brought college game day? You talk about national respect. That's what you get. You get college game day coming to your campus. Who would have thought that? And then you get Chris Fowler and Kurt Herbstreit, two of the biggest names in college football, the voices of college football, to do your game. And quite honestly, even Kurt Herbstreit's gone on record. I mean, his perception of UCF changed from coming here. Um, there was an article on Sporting News. Bill Bender interviewed Kirk, and Kirk admitted that you know what? Having seen UCF in person, I see what they're doing, and I, I understand now. That I didn't, I didn't get before. Uh, so I hope that the fans, you know, uh, appreciate what we just saw because this doesn't mean it's going to continue. It might. Uh, Boise State has done been consistent for two decades. Alabama certainly at their level has been consistent. But you know, Jeff mentioned the teams that had those long win streaks. Miami never came back uh, ever when that streak ended. Florida State really wasn't the same when they lost to Oregon, and that streak ended. 
So there's no, it's really uncertain what happened. There's no guarantees in life in the future. Uh, that's why I think Jeremy, I think, made the point. I mean, in, in some ways, the Josh Heupel era starts now. Because now the question will be moving forward is, can they continue this success? Or does the program drop to, quote-unquote, a 9-3 and three season, let's say? And then if they go, quote-unquote, 9-3, and three, how do the fans react to that? Uh, do they all of a sudden think it's a disaster, whereas maybe five years ago we would have taken and celebrated a 9-3 and three year? Uh, I think those are some interesting questions moving forward. But certainly, uh, people more than people know who UCF is. And I just I think hopefully now we appreciate the last 25 games more because I feel like sometimes we just focus too much on stuff you couldn't control, rankings, who likes us, who doesn't like us. And maybe we didn't really focus on, wow, we're look at what we're watching in front of our eyes here. This is something that will yeah. be talked about for years and decades. Yeah. Um, la- okay, this will be our last rapid fire, then we're going to go to a break. And I'll go down the line and ask everybody what they think UCF's final season-ending ranking will be in the final poll. And Eric, I'll start with you. I actually was working on this because I got asked about this after the game. I think they will end up nine or ten. I think they will make, they'll have the third top ten program uh, in history. I think they'll finish ninth or tenth. I'm going to warn everybody though, Florida is going to be ranked ahead of them. So okay. just I'm just giving you the heads up right now. So do what you got to do with that, Jeremy. I think they benefit from you know Georgia losing, from Michigan losing. Um, so yeah, they might. Florida will be ahead of them because they were one behind them and they won. So um, I, however, think that UCF is going to be like 11 or 12. Just again to be like, you, know, you should have won. Like I don't know. But last last thought, I can't wait for the UCF 30 for 30 to come out. Like <laughs> I'm really excited for that. We'll be I'll, I'll be more than happy to help produce it. Yeah, maybe we'll make it. Yeah, Murphy better be in it. He was a, a part of every win. That's right. Yeah. Um, they, well, well, the the guys from the UConn blog they did one on the entire history of the conflict rivalry. So if they can do that, heck, we can do the streak. Um, uh, 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 Chris, we'll go with you. Where, where do you think UCF will uh, be ranked in the final ranking? Well, I have no faith in polls, as most people know. <laughs> uh, I believe we're going to be 12 or worse. Okay, you think that they're, they're really going to drop you? I haven't who, I looked at who lost, and I don't. I don't. I think they'll they'll try to hammer us. Okay, yeah. um, twelve or worse. And then, uh, and Luke will finish with you. What do you think? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, there is a final DF people, right? It's just the final A people, AP uh, and coaches. AP, AP and coaches do a final poll, yeah. Right. So I think the AP poll has always. Um, you know, throughout the struggles with rankings, has always been uh, fairer to, to us than the actual playoff committee. Um, with everybody losing the top ten, you know, I definitely think well, we can squeak in at, at ten, nine or ten. Um, Florida will jump us, and and you know, rightfully so, they they beat a, a top Michigan team. Um, but you know, I, I think I think because so many of the teams in that in that uh, three through ten had lost that we'll, we'll still be in the in the mix I'm, I'm more so curious to see where they put LSU yeah LSU came in at 11 in the AP UCF at well, 7 be, they'll be ahead Rick. they'll be ahead of UCF yeah, yeah. Um, Georgia was believe it or not Georgia was the only team that was ahead of uh, it was was one spot ahead of UCF in the latest AP so 
they were at six. So that would, it's I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think UCF is probably going it, to. It's I think it's fifty fifty whether or not they end up in the top How ten. How far do you think Notre Dame falls? Oh, uh, like not as far as many think. Not right. as far as many. No, I think like two, three spots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that, I, I think that they'll probably even Which keep them in joke. the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they'll probably keep them in the top I think four. They say it four. Yeah. I would. I wouldn't be surprised to see them keep them at the four because a, it's Notre Dame, and b, they were in the playoffs. Oklahoma and them flip flop. Yeah. Yeah. So. All it, right. Well, it depends. If, it depends if Clemson beats Alabama. That's right. also right. true. That's, That's also true. true. So, all right, we'll wrap this thing up here. Well, or, or, or we'll not wrap up, but we'll, we're going to take a break. Uh, but before we do, uh, Eric and Luke are going to come back. We're going to talk a little hoops coming up. Um, but uh, uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Where can, as though people don't already know, where can people follow you on uh, on social media? Uh, it's uh, UCF Knights Nation uh, N A T N. So UCF Knights and N A T N. Gotcha. Uh, Twitter. Right. And uh, Jeremy Brenner, where? What about you? And follow me at Jeremy Renner. All right, and Jeremy, I know uh, you're going like to be Jeremy Renner, but that's what I tell people. Uh, I know you're get what, what? Were you dropping Woj bombs earlier tonight or something? No, Woj bombs. I was just picking them up for everybody. Uh, well, awesome, ha- I pick them up. Well, what happened today? Early earlier today was it? Uh, it, it, it Memphis it, traded uh, Marshawn Brooks. Yeah, the actual Marshawn Brooks to Chicago for Justin Holiday for Justin and Holiday. draft picks, I guess, right? Yeah, but I heard, that, but I heard Memphis wanted Drew Holiday, but they ended up getting Justin. So, you know, people just can't get the right guy anymore. They can't just say last name; they have to take full names. Lots of moving parts. I don't even in order to trade on a trade. Yeah, I used I used to follow the I still follow the NBA. I used to you follow it much more closely, but I did not. Get that joke. Sorry. Um, all right. Guys, thanks again. Uh, and listen, we'll stick around. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk a little hoops as the conference season Oops. has begun. Oops, We've got uh, – we'll be looking at UCF Oops. and Temple. But uh, in the meantime, uh, once again, thanks to you guys, uh, Chris and Jeremy, for hanging. And uh, hopefully we'll I'll have you guys – for hoops. You want to hang for hoops? Okay. Hang for hoops. Yeah. There. All right. Hoop season, man. All right. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. 
Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, I lied. Uh, Chris and Jeremy are going to stick around with us here uh, as we talk a little uh, UCF hoops. Remember, we are at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. You can follow us at uh, UCF underscore banneret. You can follow us individually on Twitter at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric Lopez Elo, uh, Luke Saris SBN, uh, Jeremy Brenner, and UCF Knights Nation. That's N A T N. Uh, that is Chris's Twitter handle. So did I forget anybody? There's like 17 people on this podcast. All right, we're gonna keep it going with the full with the full uh, the full Monty here, and we're gonna talk a little uh, UCF hoops. Um, we're in this sort of lull spot in the UCF schedule where the spring sports aren't starting up just yet. They really get cranking around February. So once the bowls are over, the month of January is for hoops. And uh, for UCF men's basketball, they couldn't have asked for a better way to start the conference uh, season. They opened up uh, against Temple at home and got the victory over the Owls. 78-73 to was the final at CFE Arena. Just recapping some of the top performers for the Knights. Uh, leading scorer was B.J. Taylor with 24 points on 7 of 12 shooting. He was also 7 of 12 at the line. Um, five Knights were in double figures in this game. Taco Fall uh, with a double-double, 16 and 11 on 7 of 9 shooting. Um, but again, was 33% from the line. Uh, so it is what it is. Um, Colin Smith had a dozen points on uh, on five of eight from the floor to go with four rebounds. Uh, Terrell Allen, 11 points and seven assists. And uh, Aubrey Dawkins, 10 points uh, on five of nine shooting. So your entire starting five gets double figures, only five points off the bench, three of them from Chad Brown uh, and two from Deion Griffin. But the Knights um, led the game by as much as 13 in the second half. And then Temple kind of, Cut it close there toward the end, but UCF still managed to uh, pull it off in the uh, to, to pull it off by shooting sixty percent from the field, sixty point four percent, twenty nine of forty eight. Um, of course, the free throw shooting is a little bit of a concern at fifty seven percent, sixteen to twenty eight from the line. The Knights were, um, but even so, that was enough to take care of uh, a Temple team that came in with double digit wins. Uh, into this, into this, uh, into conference play. Um, so, yeah, at least, what do we make of this for this one? Luke Saris, I'll start with you. You were at the game. Um, you saw it up close and personal. Um, give us the lowdown on it. It, it, it. Conference play is always such a different animal because when you dive right into it, it's a much different intensity. Um, and UCF was able to take care of business in this game to get off to that good start and advance their record to 11-2 and two and 1-0 in the AAC. Were you impressed with the performance or did you feel like it could have been a little bit better? Temple always gives UCF a hard time. They're, they're always 
towards the top of the conference. Um, I, I think UCF played well outside of free throw shooting, which has been the obvious struggle with this team, um, you know, for the for the past couple of seasons. But, you know, th- this was a good Temple team. This was a good Temple team that had wins over Missouri and um, and uh, Davidson, to name a few. And, you know, I, I do the uh, AAC blogger poll for basketball. And, and for a, a large, you know, for the majority of my polls, I, I had Temple in front of us. You know, I wasn't really too sold on, um, you know, how we were, you know, going to play out this season. But uh, it was it was a huge conference win. Um, and uh, it definitely gets us off on the right foot. And I think it's a little strange when you um, – you know, have a better field goal percentage than free throw percentage, but um, <laughs> no kidding. You know, we re- we really got to get that down. But you know, the the team they're they're learning. Everybody's learning their role, and um, we're, we're finally seeing some offense um, for the first time since well, I guess since Matt Williams was here. Yeah, Temple came in uh, ten and three on the year. Their losses were to Virginia Commonwealth, Villanova. Uh, and uh, where am I missing one? No, they were yeah, ten and they, they, they were ten and two. Yeah, I'm sorry. The th- UCF was the third loss. Thank you. Um, what is it about that Temple team? You're right, though. It seems like they always give everybody fits. I mean, you know, you're going to get a tough physical game. Maybe not quite on the par of like say a Cincinnati would, but um, but they're going to they're going to stick right with you on uh, on the floor at least uh, physically. I don't know, Elo. What did you think about uh, about how UCF performed in this game? Because you know, like I said, I I just get worried about these late game situations with the free throw shooting. Man, this just drives me absolutely crazy. No, that's very legitimate. I mean, they almost let Temple get back in a back door there. Uh, Temple shot the ball well from the three. I mean, they're good. Um, and, and and this league is good. I mean, this league is better than I think what the preseason perspective uh, that a lot of people thought. I do agree with and, that, by the way. I mean, we have what one, two, three, four, five, six teams with ten wins coming into the yeah. uh, coming into the conference play, right? Yeah, and a lot of teams are improved. Like South Florida was the worst team in the league last year. Is much better. They just beat UConn. They're much. They're definitely got some momentum mojo going with Brian Gregory over there. But and my concern to your point. You're going to have a lot of close games, and you're right. The the free throw shooting is a concern uh, because, boy, you just hope that how you know that could come back to bite you in a couple games here in a tight, tight race in the conference. The thing that I enjoyed, I think Taco Fall quietly is playing his best basketball of his career offensively to go along with the defense. I think he's raised his game, and that's typically what you'd like to see from your seniors. And I think him and it's no accident that him and BJ led the way scoring wise for this offense and. I think the interesting thing will be as we move forward is how do they get Aubrey more involved? I feel like Aubrey kind of deferred a little bit uh, to BJ and Taco there, which is, you know, that's fine. Uh, But I still think there's the best basketball ahead for Aubrey, and they're going to need him, especially when they go on the road to a game like UConn, uh, where you you don't have the crowd behind you or the home court behind you. That's going to be interesting how they see. But that's a good, solid win to start off against a well-coached Temple team. Chris, what did you think about it? To echo kind of what Eric said, um, uh, the free throw shooting is really uh, worrisome for me because this is a good league this year, and good teams and good coaches will key on the fact that you're a bad free free throw shooting team. And uh, I worry that uh, this team with so much promise is going to have two or three losses that they shouldn't have had, and... uh, and ultimately, it'll be a disappointing season. But 
and again, what Eric said about uh, Aubrey Dawkins, I think he's kind of sliding himself into the uh, uh, easing himself into the offense, uh, and, and like I said, deferring. But I think if you we see these marquee games coming up, I think you'll really see uh, Aubrey Dawkins step out to be one of UCF's top two or if not best players because he has that ability. Um, I was disappointed the fact we gave up 73 points. I don't know what's happened to our nation's leading defense. Um, we used to do that against good teams before, but now, uh, you know, it's it's all of a sudden we're not a top defensive team anymore, not even in our league. So that uh, that was kind of surprising. Uh, I think Temple did. Uh, is Temple one of the teams that either received votes or they're, they're in the top 50 RPI or something like that? So I didn't really know how good they were, uh, but, you know, they appear to be a good team team just like most of the league so um, my big focus is are we going to be a better free throw shooting team because if not I think there's going to be some disappointments down the uh, down the uh, conference schedule and and, and I want to turn to Jeremy on this too because I, I think that this is kind of the, the 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 it becomes fairly easy for UCF to it to sort of trip up UCF down the stretch because if you're an opposing coach listen I you guys have forgotten more mat, more basketball in the last five minutes than I will remember. But it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, all right, who are the weak free throw shooters out there on the floor for UCF? All you got to do so, – so you can start with basically Taco Fall, right? And if Johnny Dawkins does the thing that he should do, all right, in that situation, which is take Taco off the, off the floor and sort of do that substitution offense for defense – the problem you run into is when you do that, um, then other teams can attack the rim down the stretch. And that wipes out your best defensive weapon in terms of uh, in, in terms of rim protection down the stretch. Because if he can't play because of the free throw shooting, that's going to be a problem. And also, I think this is another thing that when teams do this, and we saw, we've seen a couple teams do this in situations where they have key players who are poor foul shooters. It burns your timeouts a lot, and game management becomes much more difficult down the stretch uh, in close games when you when you have to burn timeouts to get bad free throw shooters off the court, um, and and that's an issue because again, you know, like Eric alluded to, you know, you're also losing one of your top offensive weapons, and 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 certainly one of your top. Well, he is your top uh, rebounder, 94 rebounds, 7.2 a game to start the season. So it's, I don't know, I, I feel like if UCF is going to win games, they have to do so by larger margins in, in order to guarantee themselves a, a situation where they can get, where they can get, you know, I don't want to not run off the floor, but but they end up tripping over themselves in uh, in close games here. Jeremy, what do you think? I mean, you've seen this team from the start of the season you've seen the uh adjustments that they've made with uh in in some of these closer games which they've had the opportunity with they they've had a couple of them in the preseason so to speak not really the preseason the non-conference season but um and UCF has come up short in a few close games earlier this year so what is the play the rest of the way for them do you think I think they said this last night UCF lost two games this year by a by a combined score of three points. Basically buzzer beaters, right? Because there was a buzzer beater against FAU, and then Basically, there was the buzzer beater that tied the game in Mizzou. Yes, and that was an overtime game. Uh, free throw shooting wasn't that 
bad in that game. They only missed five free throws. But against FAU, the game they really should have won, they missed nine free throws. And yes, you can say, but I mean, speaking on this game in particular, Taco was absolutely necessary. It was one of Taco's better games that I've seen him play. They were comparing him to Shaq on the broadcast. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, Taco <laughs> Ball is definitely not Shaq. Right. But he he was fulfilling his purpose yesterday, and he was simply clogging the paint. And that's why UCF is so good defensively, is because Taco Fall, all he has to do is literally exist. All he has to do is exist on the floor, and you cannot score a layup. Right. They literally, like, he's almost like a force field for them. It's like, you can't score. So the reason why Temple was in the game yesterday, they made 13 threes on 27 shots. They're a good outside scoring team, yet they only shot 45% from the floor. So compared to UCF 60%. UCF's offense was way more efficient yesterday than than Temple's and that's why yes 73 points Temple and you know Chris mentioned that you know maybe the off the defense wasn't that bad. I don't think it's necessarily the defense. I think it's just the defense that UCF plays, the 2-3 zone or the whatever like the, even they try the 1-3-1 sometimes it it works because Taco being out there changes the complexion of the game and I just want and the reason why I think UCF won yesterday is because they they utilize Taco on the offensive floor, and they that's sometimes very difficult for UCF to do. If they because Taco does so much defensively, it's why you need to keep him out there. It's why even if he misses a couple of free throws here and there, it's still the the pros outweigh the cons when it comes to Taco most of the time. So, but the reason why they won that game, they were able to get him offensively in a rhythm. They were able to play the pick and roll. Taco even had this insane pass that I, I didn't even know Taco could pass. Like, the fact that he could pass, unbelievable. It's maybe the best pass I've seen from Taco Fall ever. Um, but even, like, Aubrey, Aubrey yesterday. Aubrey at 5 of 9, and he had two missed free throws, which very rarely do you see that from, from Aubrey. Even BJ, he had a poor shooting night. But there was a game earlier in the year where um, BJ and Aubrey, it was against Alabama, it was at home. They went 19 to 21 from the free throw line. It, it's all about getting the uh, and John Dawkins said this in that press conference after the Alabama game. He said it's about getting the ball in the right shooter's hands at the end of the game. And in at a night where the free throw shooting just isn't in the rhythm like it was last night, they were still able to win. And I think that just goes to show how UCF can find ways to win. And, that, and that's what makes this team better than any team that we've seen in the last couple of years because they can, they, they, they still are that stout defensive team. I still think they're one of the best defensive teams in the, in the country. Um, it's just the offense that needs to get going. And it's, it's going to come from B, BJ and Aubrey. But even on nights when Aubrey isn't good, Taco's there. And even Colin Smith was there last night, so that's why they were still able to win last night. I, I think they're all right. I, I think that this is a good first game. I also wouldn't even call it a home game. You saw that student section that all of two people. There was nobody used. there. It's hard. Well, yeah. it's hard <laughs> when, you know, school isn't in session of that. So when you have a home game during the break, it's kind of tough because it's almost like you're losing a home game. But they were still able to get the win. So that's, you know, I think it's pretty impressive. So yeah. uh, it's a good building block, you know. The best kind of wins are the wins that aren't perfect and you can still learn from something from it. So I think they learned a lot from this game and they can use it moving forward. And it's still a win towards uh, their resume that they will probably need come March. 
So I like the fact we had uh, five guys in double figures. That uh, yeah, bodes well for the future. Offense yeah, offense is huge. And yeah. even like on a bad night, Aubrey still brought 10 points to the table. So um, I like the, the balanced offense, but also I'd like to see Aubrey and BJ still more um, featured than they were last yeah. night. Or at least Aubrey, not necessarily BJ, but Aubrey more especially. Luke, I wanted to come back to you as we as we wrap men's basketball here. So uh, as we look around the conference, Houston is still undefeated. They're fourteen and zero. What a season that they've had, unexpectedly so. I think Cincinnati at twelve and two, they got off to a good start in the conference as well. Um, USF at eleven and two, SMU nine and four. Temple is, despite the losses, ten and three. Tulsa's ten and four. They're also off to a good start. UConn at nine and five. Um, the next up for UCF, as we look at the schedule ahead, uh, they have the game against UConn at the XL Center in Hartford on Saturday at noon. That game's on ESPN News. This is going to be a very hungry UConn team coming into this game after they've lost their conference opener. What do you see from that game coming up uh, as UCF starts the away portion of the home schedule before their, before they have... Um, eight days off until their next conference game against ECU, which is at home. UConn, um, I, I think UConn's one of those teams that, that as of late, you get caught up in the name. Um, they they clearly haven't had the success. Um, the, you know, they had coming off a national championship just a few seasons ago. Um, I mean, kudos, I mean, really, honestly, kudos to USF for the for the turnaround on their program, but it, it, yes, they're eleven and two or ten and two, and uh, or they're eleven and two. But if you if you look at their games and who they beat and, and the scores of those games, yes, very much improved. But they're they're still not at that level yet. Where I think once a conference, you know, once conference play really kicks off, you'll you'll see more of that. Um, so so UConn taking that loss against South Florida, I think, kind of shows where they are at as a program. Um, and UCF has fared well against them in, in basketball in the, in the past couple of seasons, and, and I definitely expect that uh, that to continue. I, I think at the end of the season, when when you look at the standings, UConn's going to be, you know, towards the uh, the middle bottom of the pack. Yeah, I mean, it's we're not going to really know until we get to sort of the middle of the conference season where everyone's kind of stacking up. I, it's. But the chance, the, the thing is with UCF, I, I think the key right now is just defend the home court as much as you possibly can. Um, if they can get the win at UConn, which even even though you're right, this is not the, this is not your dad's UConn. Um, it's the host of horrors. <laughs> yeah, it, this th- that place has just been terrible to UCF over the over the time over the years, and to try and get just get one win there, even I, I don't care how weak UConn is, you know, it's just get one win in that place so that you can kind of get that monkey off your back. Right, Eric? I mean, it's just been year yeah, after well, I mean, year, that place. About, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've talked about this in the past. When you think of the conference, there was three places. I remember we had Taylor Young about this last year. There's three places there has been the house of horrors for UCF. Memphis, for a long time, going back to conference USA, up until last year when UCF finally won a game up there. And then the other two is Tulsa and UConn. They have not, you know, they have not played well there, and, and, and that includes some of the bad UConn teams recently. So uh, that's why I thought the Temple win was big because yes, UConn's not what they are. Although Dan Hurley's taken over, they're playing hard. Uh, they did beat Syracuse earlier in the year, and they're going to be at home. And I think UConn's going to be one of those teams that's going to be a different team at home and on the road, and that's tough to win in conference on the road. 
The big thing is this, boys, because I just checked this. Joe Lenardi in his last bracketology has UCF in as a 10 seed, uh, part of a three-bid league for the American. For the first time that I can remember, UCF, I think, has done what they needed to do in the non-conference to put themselves in position to make a run to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, will they do it? We'll see. That's what conference games are about. But that's significant to me, and it's interesting because the basketball program is kind of the opposite of football, whereas the media loves the basketball program. <laughs> I mean, if you look at John Rothstein, uh, you know, Andy Katz, they love this basketball team. And I think that's been, and that's brought a lot of the attention and, and pressure to this team for this year. As Chris has brought up, trying to break that slide of making the tournament uh, for the first time since 05. So they've got everything in front of them. And you're right, Jeff. If you could steal some games on the road, i.e. one here in UConn, that would go a long way in accomplishing that goal. So, by the way, one little note I wanted to add here before we move on to the women's team. Um, all right, so there's no RPI. That, that, well, there is an RPI, but they, but the NCAA has decided not to use it. Instead, they are using the equally opaque net rankings, which they've made up. And uh, UCF right now, though, uh, jumped seven spots in the latest uh, net rankings from 41 to 34. So UCF was 34th in that net ranking, which I'm guessing that the NCAA committee is going to use quite a bit uh, in the coming uh, in the coming months to figure out if there are at-large uh, bids at stake. Of course, if you're UCF, you don't want to put it to that. You want to win the conference outright. But, you know, hey, I mean, this, this should be a three- to four-bid league this year, I do think. And uh, in that case, you know, I do think UCF, should, you know, th- that's got to be the goal. They're actually one spot behind Florida. Top American Athletic Conference team in the net rankings right now, believe it or not, Houston at number four. Uh, 14-0, that'll get you there. They're behind Duke at one, Virginia at two, Michigan at three. Cincinnati is the second highest AAC ranked, AAC team rather, in the Net rankings at 25, and then UCF is the third at 34. So, something we got to keep that would be in your mind. Three teams into the field, right? There, there. you go. Right. So, um, all right. So, that's men's basketball. As we take a look once again, a reminder their next game will be on the road at UConn Saturday, January 5th, noon ESPN News for that. And they have eight days off until they're back at home on Sunday, January 13th at 4 against um, ECU. All right. Quickly flipping over to women's basketball, they um, had a two-point win, came back and beat Quinnipiac at Quinnipiac. And Eric Lopez, you were right. You gave me the heads up on Quinnipiac, and they um, they were a game squad at home, but UCF came up with the win. It was not pretty, 47-45, but um, KK Wright was 17 points. She was the lone knight in double figures. Um, UCF did not shoot well in this game, 34% from the field, um, but they held Quinnipiac to 30% from the field, uh, and they got the one, and they got the two-point victory. So, with that, UCF women's basketball is at 11 and two, and uh, and and let's give them a round of applause because they now head into conference play with two key games coming up in the next week. Obviously, they start conference play at Memphis on Saturday, January 5th. That game will be televised on CBS Sports Network, uh, 5 p.m. on Saturday. So right after the men's game, make sure you flip over to CBS SN to check out UCF at Memphis. And then comes Tuesday, January 8th at South Florida. And the Bulls have been the bugaboo of UCF for years and years and years and years and years. Two seasons ago, notwithstanding, when UCF got their first win ever 
at the Sun Dome, um, beating a then-ranked South Florida team. But um, South Florida suffered a very key injury this uh, the, over this past week, didn't they, Elo? It was actually a few weeks ago. I didn't even realize it, but it was a uh, November. Right? It was right after USF beat Oklahoma. Their star two-time All-American, uh, uh, Kitty Aloxa. Yeah, yeah. Tore ACL out. Uh, the seniors out for the year, and you know they got destroyed by LSU over the weekend in Baton Rouge. That game was on SEC Network. I watched it. They're not the same team without her, obviously, and that is significant because that's been the number two team in the conference, quite frankly, with Jose Fernandez there behind UConn, obviously. So that door is open. And from UCF, you mentioned that that's their best non-conference start, by the way, in program history. Uh, that is significant. Their yeah. RPI, I believe, is 19. Uh, and Charlie Cream, who we've had on Correct, the Correct, 19. That's right. Uh, yep. And Charlie Cream, who's the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball, and we've had on this podcast, uh, just released his first bracketology, and UCF's in. Uh, it's a 10 seed, just like the men. Uh, it's a two-bed league. That's the thing. The American right now in women's looking like a two-bed league, and it's UCF's is the best shot for the second team because South Florida's got some issues. So huge opportunity here for the women's basketball program for Coach Abe here. They've put themselves in position, Jeff, with the way they've scheduled non-conference and the way they've won games in non-conference. You mentioned Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac was a team that made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament last year, beat Miami uh, in the NCAA tournament. It's a good program. And that's a quality win on the road. And they put themselves now in position to be an NCAA tournament team. And that's critical because, let's be honest, in the American and women's basketball, there there really isn't no automatic bid. That automatic bid's already, you know, it's going to stores. So yeah. uh, you really got to build up your resume. And really, if you're UCF, the goal is to finish second. I mean, they're not going to say that, obviously. Your goal is to win the league. But let's be real. Uh, it's UConn. You're in the league. So opportunity and I think big big yeah, but you got to start it'll be interesting how they come out on the road here against Memphis because it's easy to overlook and look forward to that rivalry game do not overlook a road game at Memphis don't come out sloppy and all of a sudden you get yourself in a bit of a tricky game here and you drop a game you probably don't want to that could come back to haunt you down the road now okay here's the part of the show where you know usually you know if Murph was here he just kind of takes the back seat while Eric and I talk about this but I want to get you guys in there, and Chris, I want to uh, I want to get you in on this too because it, it's funny. I th- I think of uh, th- that the tweet that um, John Rothstein always sends out whenever UCF wins. <laughs> he says UCF more than a football school, and we've been arguing all the time about how UCF is. Yes, it's more than a football school. Yes, it's also more than a football and men's basketball school, and I think that the women's basketball team has shown a key part of that. So. Um, to you guys who you know haven't had the chance to talk about this kind of stuff, talk about you know non sports that aren't football or men's basketball on the podcast before, do you? What do you see as the sort of caliber that UCF is in the in sports like women's basketball, and where do you see the program going from here? At least from from what you've been able to glean over the years. And and Chris, I want to start with you. I, uh, I'm really impressed with the uh, the hire of Coach Abe. I think uh, you know she's going to lead this program for a long time to higher and higher levels. Um, she's a great fundamentals coach, obviously great uh, great in the locker room. So I think uh, you know we'll see steps higher and higher. I, I really look forward to a uh, a race between women's and men's basketball, a real competition this year to see uh, 
see who can who can go higher because uh, you know they're neck and neck, and I uh, I like what I see from both programs. This is the best that I've seen both programs at the same time since probably the A Sundays in the early to mid two thousands when um, Gail Striegler was was churning out a machine for UCF women's basketball and Kirk Sparrow was won two consecutive conference championships. Go ahead. I don't ever remember women's. I mean, since the eighties, I don't ever remember women's basketball even being a blip on the radar as far as like, you know, school sports, but, um, you know, it's a great time for all sports at UCF. And like Danny, Danny White said, you know, we're building a top 25 program in all sports. Yeah. Joe, what about you, Jeremy? This actually might surprise you. Um, I had, I sat right in front of KK Wright in a class this semester, mm-hmm. and she didn't I copy sat, off your paper, did she? <laughs> I hope. I mean, we had maybe one exam in that class. I don't even remember. But um, and honestly, um, and Tolu, um, I, I don't want to butcher her last name, so I'm not going to. Tolu Omakore, who is everyone's favorite UCF athlete, by the way, I have to um, put that on the record because she is the best. Anyway, go ahead. She is the best. She is. Uh, she is the best. I'm just going to second you on that. Um, <laughs> if you all, if y'all haven't seen, did she ever get a second episode of her show on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah, had yeah, yeah. yeah she's so, had a few of them on. They, totally they put them takes on, or something like that. Totally, yeah, takes, totally totally takes. takes. It's phenomenal. Whatever. It, it's must watch TV in 2019. Should get her on the That's, show. The new resolution should be um, watched every. Just get Tolu out there. Um, she's fantastic. <laughs> um, and KK Wright is leading this team, you know, and almost it, it, she's she's the leader of the team. And I, you know, being around her um, in class and all that, you can tell. I, I don't. I, I mean, she's she's very quiet, but she she leads by example. I quiet can, like, confidence. I can see that she quiet confidence with her, yeah. And she she's she's hard to dislike. And same with Tolu, and same with Coach Abe. Um, and it's. To me, it's like well, you put a whole bunch of those people together, and they have the same goal and the same idea of how to get to that goal. That doesn't surprise me that this team is playing this well. Um, and yes, you know maybe the teams that they're playing aren't you know to their level, but in in the world of college, you know women's college basketball, it's not as easy to you know to tell you know who this team is clearly better than this team or this team is clearly better than that team because just because it doesn't get as much coverage as as other sports does but i'm you know i i have like a special place um in my ucf heart for the women's team just because um i, I know i i don't I, I i don't say i know them um but maybe if you're like oh yeah you were in my class you know it, it's nice you know it's nice having your classmates do well they so yeah Good for them. I'm so happy for them, and uh, I hope that they can keep it going. Yeah. They seem to have such really good chemistry with one another on and off the floor, certainly. And now I do PA in the arena for those games, so I'm I'm at the scores table, and I can hear every interaction between coach and the players. And there's no doubt that Coach Abe has extremely high expectations for her players, um, and and listen, they know that. But I, I do sense a much, and and I think the example you brought up, Jeremy, of KK Wright is so key because, I mean, I remember that freshman year. She looked sometimes like she was going the wrong way through a revolving door at times, you know, just kind of trying to figure out what it's like to be a college basketball player. But, 
the confidence that she has on the floor in her ability to run the offense, in her shooting especially, because she really wasn't that all that much of a scoring threat. Uh, I mean, she was, but not to the extent that she is now uh, until this year. And the one thing I wanted to really point out is this team prides itself on defense. They are number one in the American in fewest points allowed at 53.7. And yes, that's fewer than UConn allows. UConn allows 55.1. Now, UConn scores 85 um, and UCF only 65. But still, um, there are four teams in the American that have a plus double-digit scoring margin. UConn's first, obviously. They're outscoring their opponents by 30 a game. You almost have to throw them out. Um, it's USF and UCF right behind them at 14.6 and 12.2. And that shows you, and, and for the UCF, the key has been um, the defense. Luke Saris, um, you have seen, it, it, to what extent that you have seen women's basketball play, um, what are the, it, 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 I, I think Chris brought up a good point about, you know, we, we kind of have like, a, I almost like, like to think of it as like a little friendly competition between the men's team and the women's team to see who can get as far as they can get. Um, in this year, and I think so far, I would actually have to say, due respect to the men's team, I think the women's team has had the upper hand in terms of how they played overall. What do you think? Well, I mean, both teams are eleven and two. Um, you know, we two seasons ago, the men's team was at the NIT. Then last season, the women's team makes the NIT. Um, um, but at eleven and two is a great start. You know, you're always going to be kind of in the shadows with the UConn. Um, but I think that's pretty much every other program in Division I uh, women's basketball. Right. But uh, it's almost like it's almost like you're playing against the United States Olympic team, you know, in that it's respect. Almost, it's, it, you know what? It's like it's like you're you're a college athlete playing a sport but not getting you, you just know you're not gonna have the opportunity to play for a national title no matter how well you do. Yeah, I, I it's it's so tough. I feel like there should be you know you almost have to when you're talking about the American in terms of women's hoops, you almost have to throw Yukon out. Whenever you think about that, that's true. I just want to give I just want to give some perspective here. Twenty, thirty years ago, we never thought we'd be playing for a national championship in football. So it takes time, but it is possible. That's fair. Yeah, that's no, fair. That, 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 was, that was pretty much that was pretty much a, a sly remark about the football team with their success not being able to, you know, make it to the top. But yeah. None, nonetheless, uh, no, it's great to see. Like you look at our our soccer teams, our volleyball team. Um, you know, even baseball and softball throughout the last couple of years, we are really building a powerhouse, not just football and not just, you know, the, the notoriety men's basketball is getting this season. But, but get men's and women's golf. Yeah. Yeah. Across all of our athletics. And, and that is absolutely huge for the UCF brand because, you know, uh, it, it's all part of the vision. It's all part of the vision of Danny White. And, and it's, it just it's incredible to see him come to fruition. And Eric Lopez is probably I'm gonna jump in on him and say also don't forget about tennis too. Am I right, Elo? Correct. Yeah, I mean they wanna I mean the NCAA is the women's tennis for the first time in sixteen yeah. years and John Roddick and company uh, were there a couple years ago. By the way, they're going to host the American Conference Championships this year in tennis. So high expectations there. But yeah, I mean that's been the vision of Danny White to built this into a top twenty five program and uh, across the board, not just football. And I think I think the fan base now has to follow suit because I think Danny White's done his part. The players are doing their part. The coaches are doing their part. Now it's up to the fans. And uh, quite frankly, I want to see better 
participation from the fans. I mean, uh, we talked about it earlier with the men's game. There was not a lot of people there. I understand students, why they weren't there, because school hadn't started yet. But what's the excuse for the other fans? Uh, you know, we spent so much time talking about the football fan base. I don't I don't want UCF fan base just to be a football fan base. It should be an all-sports fan base. And it's got the ability to be that way. And so hopefully, as we get to 2019 and beyond, and as we grow this, uh, we'll start seeing more and more fans support these teams. Because that can make a difference. Home court, home fields, whatever the sport makes a huge difference. I think that huge difference. Yeah. Believe, believe it or not. So when I was in college, the athletics department had a student marketing board, right? Um, and I was chair of this board. And one of the things I, I was upset with was men's basketball attendance. So I, I created this report on average attendance by year. When there was a point when, when CFE, you know, first opened those, those first couple of seasons, UCF was averaging 7,500 fans a game. 7,500. We are lucky to get 3,500, 4,000 out there now. Um, What's happened? How did that happen? How did we drop off? I know that the sanctions, the Donnie Jones era, I think, soured a lot of people, perhaps, some of the program there. But, I mean, what – how do we – I mean, that's a, that's the question that I have for all of you guys. You Do you guys have a theory why we don't draw more in basketball? Because – you know, we talk about the student enrollment all the time when it comes to football attendance. Why can't that be applied to basketball? Well, I, th- I have a theory. Go ahead, Chris. I want to know what your uh, theory is. Honestly, he, it's got to start with marketing. They got to start marketing this basketball team like they do football. If it's a top 25 program, it's a top 25 program. Um, marketing gets people in the seats. I don't care if you, care if you have gimmicks, uh, you know, fan days, giveaways. You just got to put people in the seats so they can see the quality of the basketball and they will keep coming back. No, I, I mean, like I said, I, I worked, I, I was an intern with the, the the marketing department with athletics. You know, the the guy who was in charge of basketball marketing and still is in charge of basketball marketing. And they do a great job. They do a lot of great giveaways. Um, it's just for some reason, there's just not interest amongst the, the fans and, and more so anything, the students. Um, the, the students just have no interest in going out to these games, and I, and I have no idea why. But I think with winning and with more success will come higher attendance, just like we saw with football. Um, but, you know, when we were averaging 7,500 fans a game, it wasn't like we were some superior program. We had put together, you know, a couple 21 seasons in Conference USA, um, but it wasn't anything, you know, substantial. So I, I think the few rough years when we first got into the American um, with with Donnie, you know, Donnie Jones and, and, and the, the struggles we had then uh, really, really just turned fans off. And, and then they kind of lost its buzz. Weren't we packing them in at the end of last year? We were. Didn't we have some, some sellouts in they, these big well, games we had? Well, we've only had the one sellout, which was the Illinois game in the NIT. Um, but I, I will say though that it, it, basketball is an interesting sport because if you're not really, especially in a, in a market where you have an NBA team, all right, and we do, um, if you're not really really good, you kind of don't. You're 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 going to be stuck in limbo. Um, now I'll give you a good example of this in two thousand and three, two thousand four. All right. Back when UCF was in the um, was in the A Sun uh, that year, UCF defeated um, or, or or no, excuse me, they they won. They had a fourteen game 
winning streak, uh, which they, they made it to the end of January, uh, having won 14 in a row. They, at one point, they were 16 and two, and they had a home game against Troy, who was also pretty good. I think Troy had only three losses on the year at that point. And it was the most attended game in the history of the old arenas, 4,700 people. Now, it was packed in that place. I remember that I remember that day because I covered it. Um, but UCF lost that game um, by, by 12 points. But I just remember thinking, okay, this is what's certainly possible with UCF. But the thought was it takes a 14-game winning streak in order for the fans to really show up in droves, and I, I think that it, right when the engine is going for UCF basketball, some, they seem to stumble, and then and then I see it on social media where somebody comes up and says, "Oh, there it is, another winnable game that we should have lost." It, it's it's almost like the standards that the common fan has for UCF are a little bit out of whack in terms of what what it should be. I do believe though that attendance for the others, not just men's basketball, but I do believe that attendance for women's basketball really should be a lot better and I don't think it's the I don't think it's the fault of marketing at least at this you know to this point because they've done a lot of unique things to sort of to get people into the stands it's uh, it, it for women's basketball it just seems like that you know for some reason it, it's like Yukon or bust and if you're in well, a major market I think that's I, I think I think that is a factor and that's unfortunate because this women's basketball team I think is really good and and I'll get to you in a, in a second Eric but I think that in particular, with women's basketball, if they had a, an atmosphere that was even slightly a fraction of the intensity of the men's basketball game, this team wouldn't lose a game at home. Maybe they would to UConn, but but that would be it. I mean, it, it, they play that intensely. They play they play to that level of intensity with you know with probably one or 2,000 people in the stands, if that. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, that's a whole thing. We could do another podcast on that. I mean, that, that's, that's true. Be because you're, you're putting in a, you know, the state, the arena situation. Are they better off playing somewhere like in the venue, which is a smaller arena that doesn't seat as many people but have a better environment like it does for volleyball? I mean, there's a lot of difference back and forth on that. I think the women's basketball situation, I don't think that's – that's a UCF issue. That's a women's basketball problem in general. I don't That's outside fair. of a handful of programs, not many people really follow women's basketball for various reasons. Uh, a lot of people don't like the product. Uh, it's going head to head against men's basketball a lot of times, and men's basketball is going to win that. Uh, I've heard complaints that it's too they're not different than men's basketball, whereas softball biased. I know I'm a little biased on this. A lot of people like softball because it's different than baseball, so it's a little variety. So I think women's basketball has a, you know, and in UCF standpoint, you can make the argument from a historical standpoint that women's basketball is probably the fourth most popular women's sport behind women's soccer with the tradition that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly volleyball. We've seen Jeff. I mean, great atmosphere at that the venue. And certainly softball's built a great fan base as well. Uh, I think that's part of it, too. So uh, that's a tougher spot to sell. The men's basketball thing. We, the thing that's frustrating, and, and I think you know it's been brought up already here recently, we used to draw 75, 800,000 people. Uh, we used to have nearly 10,000 people there when Marcus Jordan was there. And, my, you know, and everybody was excited because, hey, is Michael Jordan going to be in the rafters or whatever? Uh, I think that, I think not, that accounted know, for we, a lot of it right there. <laughs> Are we going to sure. see Michael Jordan tonight, you know? <laughs> but, I you think know, what, uh, 
But we were there for Illinois was 10,000 packed in, in, in quick notice for the NIT quarterfinal. I'm not saying we should be drawing 10,000 every game, but can't we get 6,000, 7,000? I think it might even be a product of having too many good teams. Uh, you know, I, a lot of these, a lot of these sports, you're going to draw strictly from uh, students on campus or you know students in school. There may be a time factor that they don't have that much time to see every sport. And I think football obviously is pulling the major weight of of uh, attendance from on campus. I'm sure mm-hmm. it may be a practice, uh, you know, a product. We just have too many good teams, and and they don't have time to see them all. I, I think one of the other underrated factors is look at the schedule and the home games. Um, you don't have too many. Um, you don't have too many games on weekends or like Friday nights, for example. Um, you know, for example, UConn is here on a Thursday night at 9 p.m. Okay, you have a Thursday night game, 7 p.m. against Houston. You got the USF game, which at home on this year's schedule, which by rights should be like a Friday night game. That's on a Wednesday night. Um, well, I, I, I think I think that that's actually beneficial in terms of the student population because. Yeah. I think I think college kids are less likely to spend their Friday night at nine o'clock at a basketball game than they would be. Yeah, I agree. Going or something on like that. behalf of the entire student population, I think I can speak because I am a student. I I, uh, <laughs> I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. How about the uh, the time factor with too many sports to take in? Do you, would you see that as an issue? Because I know when I was in college, uh, even even though I was heavily obviously playing football and our time was pretty much sucked out all into that I barely saw any other sport other than basketball yeah I think, no, I think, that's, I think that's definitely part of it yeah but yeah. I also think I, that you see um, look the the most the the most packed I've ever seen uh, CFE and I'm only three years into you know being at UCF was that an IT quarterfinal yeah uh, but I think it's because UCF had something to play for and I think you'll notice that people will come if there's a lot on the line and people aren't going to come like a game in December against you know Alabama yeah that there were a lot of people in the stands that night but you know like it just doesn't have that same appeal as you know a February game against even then like a February game against uh you know, throw out any American team like Wichita hey, Cincinnati, State. who's ranked or, in the top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they they rushed the court against Cincinnati, but that was on a Sunday. I, I remember I wanted to go to that Cincinnati game. I couldn't because it was on a Sunday, and I happened to be out of town that that weekend. Um, but also, I think you see, like you saw when um, volleyball was getting good, they the the attendance was up for volleyball. You saw when the soccer was good, the soccer attendance was up. So when the teams have more to play for and there's more on the line i think that's when you see attendance start to creep up in the, and i think that the athletic department does a good job um hyping up the teams when they're doing well and they've had many more chances to do that recently i think people are always more likely to go if you know teams are good and i think that for the first time ever you know every team is good there's no booger when it comes to ucf athletics i don't think so, do yeah, we are- even have a bad sport? I do. I mean, I hear that the uh, the dodgeball team isn't that good. <laughs> Is that an official hey, team? I, I won an IM dodgeball championship. I'm damn proud of it. <laughs> there you no, go. seriously, do we have a varsity sport that is, is even like 
bad? Is no, I, I, bad? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't what's say our, that. What's at all. our worst sport? <sighs> Probably the baseball. I don't know. Baseball, yeah, and baseball, baseball team had we, baseball won a championship two years ago. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I was gonna, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, somebody who just did a top 18 what's, games of the year. What's the only was, sport we haven't won a championship in? Is anybody? Probably track, right, Jeff? Track, 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 track would be our worst sport. Well, women's tr- track. Well, women's track won the Conference USA championship, I think, the last year they that's were in Conference true. USA. So, right, right. Um, that was Conference USA. That's that, true. That might, but, but, let's, but let's also not forget that Conference USA and the or the the teams that were competitive in Conference USA moved with us to the American, most notably Houston. So yeah, um, Houston runs track and yeah. women. But we, Literally. but we, yeah, but we have beaten them. Now we don't have a men's track team, obviously that we can speak well, of. It's but track. I mean, it's probably track, track across right. country because it used to be tennis was the answer, uh, and that's right. and since John Roddick has arrived. Uh, to run the men's tennis program and be the director of tennis and, and hire the women's tennis coach. Can, uh, yeah. They I, I would say, so I I would say but yeah, even I, track, even track wins the uh, I-4 war every year. So right. that's good. Yeah. I, I would say that there's not a single sport. Like this is what we can say. I think with, with, with true definition is that there's not a single sport on campus at UCF right now that you, that you would say has no chance to win a conference championship. There's not a sport where you can say that. It's a great thing to say. I know. And, well, right. and, and it used to be, you know, shoot, y'all, you guys remember this from all the different eras. Is It used to be a conference championship was a many-splendored thing. Now the fact that it's become an expectation is a little – yeah, it's a little difficult sometimes, especially I'm sure on the coaches and, and the athletes too. But – those are the expectations we've always wanted to have because you know it's possible. And when we played football, uh, women's soccer was a sport we looked up to because they were like – They were nationally competitive, and they yeah. still are. They, that's never changed, well, not, really. Well, what's so ironic about that, we look, I, we would have, you could arguably say we just had one of the greatest falls in the history of the university with men's soccer winning the conference championship, getting to the NCAA tournament. You had volleyball win – the conference championship, get ranked for the first time in the top 25 and host an NCAA tournament. Football with the yeah. success. Ironically, women's soccer is the only one that didn't make the postseason as far yeah. as the, the major fall yeah. sports, which is right. a go figure. Right? <laughs> which, when that's your weak link, you're, you're, you're doing good at UCF. Yeah. Now, I, I think I, I had it. I'm trying to f- – you're going to have to forgive me because I'm trying to find the tweet, and this is what we'll end with. But I went back and I calculated the total – Win per, the total record of UCF sports in the yeah, fall of 2018, and I think it was 83, 18, and four. If I'm not mistaken, I, I just want to find it. Okay, here it is. Yeah, 83, 18, and four for all UCF fall sports combined, and three American Athletic Conference. Uh, titles uh, and, and by the way that includes men's basketball and women's basketball getting off to the starts that they got off to so um, so Chris I think that you're right include men's and women's soccer that include men's and women's soccer in fact men, women's soccer actually had the quote worst record end quote of all of them and they finished 10 7 and 1 is that conference conference record no that's or their no? total overall record well, I'm pretty sure we had more than four losses and we had what three in volleyball alone, right? Well, uh, four total losses in volleyball, none in conference. Women's soccer, yeah, women's soccer finished 10 7 and 1. And Eric, you and I have talked about this many times that that whole season could have turned on a dime 
because they had the the canceled game at the start of the year that I think kind of affected things a little bit. They had some bad breaks along the way. You could again sometimes you know how many angels can you dance on ahead of a pin that that well, team could have a lot of talent from yeah. a top ten team the year before. Right, and even and even so, they were two goals away from pro- possibly winning a conference sure. championship. So, um, sure. all right, so so you know, I, I, you know, right now the the prospect for the spring well they they've got a they, those uh, spring sports have uh, quite the act to follow in terms of uh going up against the fall sports all right let's wrap this thing up uh as we finish up we're gonna i'm gonna go down the line and see what everyone's working on um this week as we finish up and tell uh ucf fans where they can uh reach you and uh i guess chris we'll start with you uh yeah ucf night nation on twitter uh working on a piece uh about my message to Mackenzie milton all right uh, Jeremy Brenner, what about you? I'm gonna be followed on uh, Jeremy Brenner. That's a B and B R E N E R. That's my last name. Uh, and I want to work on a piece about Dylan Gabriel and why he is. It's the Dylan Gabriel era at UCF. Wow, <laughs> man, already this and DJ already is man. No love for Quadri Jones either. I'm pulling for Mac. I think he's going to make great strides. I'm pulling for I'm pulling for DJ Mac. I'm pulling for Quadri. I'm obviously pulling for McKenzie, but I think you've I'm fallen in love with you've fallen in love with that senior highlight reel, haven't you? <laughs> the lefty. Maybe. It's the lefty. It's it's the it's the lefty. It's like it's it, Dylan lefty, Gabriel. Lefty. Dylan Gabriel looks like if you took Tua. And McKenzie and combine them, and then poof, you have Dylan Gabriel. That's he's what. The, well, that's, a, that's a big compliment. Lefty. <laughs> he's uh, not very big. He's the not so hefty lefty. Luke Saris, what do you got? Uh, well, first you can follow me at Luke Saris SBN. Um, I am going to be rolling out the uh, 2018 football team awards. Um, I just had my basketball preview up. And um, the the team awards. Would, uh, Are we gonna get the vote on these? Gonna have uh, a roundtable vote? Uh, I guess I could. Let's vote. But I already kind of. Let's vote. Let's vote. Actually, what I think was funny was that we had this debate on the on the group me about um, what we name the awards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I think it'd be cool to have the political, the political, politically correct names. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. There there are some players that just. Just don't deserve an award. Yeah, just don't deserve an award. I, 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 I'm in favor of the defensive award uh, being named after Joe Burnett, and the uh, special teams award being named after Mike Hughes. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I like that. And uh, are we in agreement that Kevin Smith, offensive player of the year? Uh, Yeah, I'll run with that. Dante Culpepper, maybe. Uh, Probably the greatest offensive player. I don't know. Yeah, you, but, you can't go wrong either way. But the fans the side. That's Let's do a Twitter poll. Let's okay, Twitter. Okay, Twitter poll. We'll put it put it up right now. I, I, it, uh, who should we name the off the UCF Offensive Player of the Year award after? Kevin Smith, Dante Culpepper. Um, might as well throw Lake Bortles in there. We might, might as well throw, throw Pete DeNovo in there. <laughs> <laughs> Elo, what do you got? Or Calabrese. Oh my Calabrese. god! Hey, lay off Rob Calabrese. He's a nice guy. I actually really like. Well, he was Rob a Calabrese. multifaceted athlete. He was he played wide receiver uh, and quarterback. Did a little bit, and, and he's actually and he's actually a very good uh, coach right now. Uh, I think he's an Wagner offensive coordinator at Wagner. Yeah, so he's yeah. Found, he's found a little niche. I'm, I'm happy for. Him. I I covered Rob when he was when I was working on campus 
was always a good kid. Always a really good kid. I really liked him. So I, th- I always thought he got a bad rap. So, but anyway, Eric Lopez, also, what do you got? Also, I'm going to be oh. doing the way too early projected depth chart. Ah, uh, okay. There you go, Jeremy. There you go, I, Jeremy I, I Brenner. I, I knew I was forgetting something every time you ask me to say what I'm <laughs> going to be working on. I blank, but that that is, that's what that's what and I'm working. Pencil Cam good in there as at the the, the uh, empty defensive tackle. I Cam don't good? think he's eligible immediately. We got to check on that. Hey, that's oh, you know maybe what? Not. Yeah, maybe not. That's what these pieces are for, and I, and we're going to find out real quick where he decides to put Dylan Gabriel once uh, once Jeremy is done lobbying on his behalf. Eric, what do you got? Well, uh, I've got a couple of things. Obviously, you could go to blackandgoldbanneret.com right now and check out my article on the TV ratings for the Fiesta Bowl. Very interesting. Uh, slightly up nationally from the last year's UCF Peach Bowl. Kind of surprising, and I'm stunned by this. Locally, Orlando, the ratings down compared to last year. This year's uh, game did a 14 locally compared to a 16 last year. It shocked me. You would have thought it was the other way around. Why, why do you think that bad. was, by the way? It's old hat now. You know, we go to a New Year's Six game every year now, so, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't like we were up, But it wasn't like we were up against Florida or a team that, that had, you know, local uh, interest, right? Florida would have blew the roof off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still a strong number. Don't get me wrong. It's the third most watched UCF game locally all time. Baylor uh, Fiesta Bowl is still number one at a. It did about a seventeen six locally. Yeah. And last year's Peach Bowl, which a lot of people drove up for or flew up to Atlanta, did a sixteen. Um, I you know I don't know. I mean, a couple theories, Jeff. Real quick. I mean, it, it was not a lead into the playoffs, so maybe you lost some casual people that are you know casual either. Uh, football people on in Orlando that normally would have tuned in if it was a playoff game as opposed to uh you know so I don't know maybe I think I don't think they lost lesser UCF fans I think it was probably just some lesser casual fans maybe didn't tune in for whatever uh the reason maybe the, uh, the lack of a playoff or whatever but it was shocking I was not expecting that hmm. uh but you could check out the details on that and how the game did nationally uh where it is at rank all time in UCF as we follow the UCF football ratings and then uh, I will, of course, my Twitter is Eric Lopez Elo. You mentioned spring softball and baseball practice began, ladies and gentlemen, on Thursday. In fact, I'm not buying this theory that Murph's on a plane. I think Murph purposely told us that, but in reality, he's inside the baseball stadium sleeping right now. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, you were at the game. What was the ratio of uh, UCF fans? Was it a, was a good turnout? Because I heard the ticket uh, like purchases was low. From my vantage point in the press box, it, was, it looked like there were more black than purple, I'll be yeah. honest. Yeah, uh, it looked like that. I'd say maybe 55, 45, pretty close. Well, that's good, because yeah, I saw yeah, some yeah. tweet that said we had only sold 4,000 of 17 or 4,000 of 12,000 tickets. So. No, I, I, plenty of UCF people there. On TV, of, on TV, it looked like – Yeah, it, <laughs> on, TV, on TV, it looked like they were dressed as empty seats, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they the were. By the way, it was the, uh, it was the lowest attended Fiesta Bowl since '79. Yeah, job. Uh, well, that's that's not that's, a surprise when you have two the teams FD's from the from house. the east hauling out idea. west. Don't schedule it at 11 a.m. on New Year's Day. Maybe you'll get more. That's people. true. Yeah, it's or, 11 a.m. By the way, I, I do want to point out because a lot of people are you know upset at the broadcast for a lot of different reasons, and and the reason why the UCF fan, a lot of UCF sections weren't shown. Uh, from what I was told, the camera, because there was a lot of empty seats, they very much played it very conservative on the what to show and not to show, if you would, if you know what I mean. The last sure. thing they want to show is a bunch of empty seats. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it was the lowest attendant festival, there's 
pretty darn good reason for that. Um, but At least we know USF fans travel well. <laughs> Empty Whoa. seats everywhere. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Um, I will be working on, uh, or, or at least Eric, you and I will both be working on our continued uh, series on um, yeah. future UCF Hall of Famers, not just in football, but we're going to get to some of the other sports as well. And then also uh, I'm continuing the work that I'm doing on looking back at the recruiting classes and uh, grading them um, yeah, like after that. after their their time at UCF. I got I got through the 2010 ones. Okay, so I, I want to go back as far as I can. I want to try and see if I can go back to O'Leary's first recruiting What's class the first in 04. recruiting class on record? Is that 2000? Uh, 02, I think. 02 or 03. I forget exactly. At least at least when I go back in terms of and I look at rivals.com, that's what I look at. Um I like your I like your thing where I could actually look up how what 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 star I would have been as a recruit. I like that. Well, yeah. I mean I mean this it, we we put up the little uh Solid. the little star, star star ranking. Yeah. I mean Yeah, I like that. It, well, I mean I the way I see it is if you're a three star that means that you should be a you, you should have played and graduated and not much else. And then, you know, if you're a four-star, you know, maybe you were a solid I starter. Like and... I like that low bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chris, how many stars did you have coming out of high school? Dude, we didn't even have a ranking system when I came out of high school. <laughs> you... I walked on from Canada running a 4.5340 at 6.2, 210. 4.5.3? I ran a 4.5340 at 6.2, 210 as a wide receiver. Luke Harris, what do you give that? Solid three and a half stars? I would have been uh, about an 85, 86, I think, uh, rating on a on a <laughs> two, two four seven. If if I Chris, played you're five Florida. stars in my book, uh, that is that. See right there, that's team. That's team. That's guys, a team player. Stars don't mean anything. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> my lifetime stats are two punt returns for five yards. I was I the only linebacker. I think I was the only linebacker in college football that actually returned punts, <laughs> or at least the only one that we know returned. Yeah. Right, <laughs> or at least the only linebacker that we know didn't return any punts until Brian Erlacher did. Anyway, yeah, right. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, thanks again. We did this a little bit differently because it was the post bowl game, and I want to thank all of you guys for um, chiming in with me tonight. Uh, Chris Carter, Eric Lopez, Jeremy Brenner, and Luke Saris. Full house today on the podcast, guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Go Knights. And I want to, th- and I want to thank uh, also uh, our buddy Sam Unger for again his sponsorship of our podcast. His support has been um, very valuable uh, all throughout the time, all throughout this uh, last thirteen months that he's been on board. So I want to thank Sam, and uh, thanks to all of you who've been listening. I know we probably got some new listeners uh, over the past couple weeks with uh, uh, with the bowl and getting ready for the bowl game and. Um, I want to appreciate and welcome all the new listeners that we always have. Make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, part of the SB Nation Network. We are UCF's team site on sbnation.com, part of Vox Media. Uh, and we also want to want to make sure that you follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret for Chris Carter, Eric Lopez, Jeremy Brenner, and Luke Harris. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.